An elderly man sits alone at a table. In the background, you can see a television on, an old film playing, but it's been muted. Across from the man is his kitchen, and on the wall is a clock. It's almost ticked 1 a.m., and he's watching it. His eyes are fixed on the clock as the second hand slowly makes its way around. He doesn't move. When the clock dings at the 12, and the hour hand makes its way finally on to the one, he stands up slowly, his back creaking more than the chair, and he reaches for his cane. He hobbles through the kitchen into the little atrium in front of his door, and he slips on his shoes, one after the other. He dons his jacket, pulls a little beggar boy hat over his head, and he looks up the stairs behind him. And he says, Bye, Eleanor. And then he opens the door and steps out into the cold night air. In front of him is a big black van. The door slides open, and a voice comes from within. Hello, old chap. Believe it's time for another caper. The last, I hope. (laughs) Don't we always say that? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our show. Welcome back to Story Jazz, an improvised narrative podcast with your hosts, Softy and Sam. We are doing a very special thing this time because we always do special things on this special show. Because we are special friends. Wow. Yeah, I I didn't know you saw me that way, but I'm so flattered. Yeah, you did. Uh, Well, we don't. We don't have to involve the entire internet in our private affairs. Um, friends, today's show is going to be a heist story. Is that is that the term we agreed on? Heist? That is the term. That's that's our our mo is often to pick a single word or a single genre, or a single mm, point of inspiration, and to muse upon it for a week before we record. And this time, it was heist, which means that there will be thievery and trickery. And possibly a crew to put together. You can tell by the way I'm speaking that there is still a little bit of piracy tinging my <laughs> voice, but I'll try to keep that to a, to a minimum. Yes. <laughs> Heist stories are interesting because they almost always involve uh, illicit activity, thievery of, your, of some kind, and yet we are meant to empathize with those breaking the law or doing the bad thing, like quote unquote bad thing. Often there's some reason, right? Somebody's been wronged or the person being robbed deserves it or whatever, right? But we're, we're, we're generally on the side of the thieves, right? That's sort of the inside perspective to know what it's like to be a master cat burglar or whatever it is. And since you and I, Softy, are such master burglars, we are the perfect people to, to you know, tell this story. I'm looking around my room right now. I got the Mona Lisa set up in the corner. Really nice. Um, they still haven't discovered that the one in the Louvre is just a fake. He thinks 
He has the Mona Lisa, but I actually have it in my room. He's got a fake in his. Blast! Foiled again! <laughs> <laughs> no, you actually, Softy, think that that is the Mona Lisa, but it turns out the Mona Lisa I set up in my apartment was a fake too, and the one that you stole was another fake. It's in a fake. safe, right? That's, so, that's, you think that yours is in the safe, but it's not. You know about the safe? I have the actual, I have know about the safe, and it turns out that I have mine hidden in a place that you'll least expect it. Pushes up glasses mysteriously. Oh, I expected that place. Did you? And the fact is, I took that place, carved it out of the ground, used seven helicopters to transport it to Madagascar, and then shot Madagascar onto the moon. So where's your Mona Lisa now, baby? Oh, I know exactly where it is. It's on the wall in your room, because that's where I keep all my most prized possessions. Blast! Foiled thrice! <laughs> Well, I think that's a that's a great that was the whole heist story. I, I think this is this is a really nice short episode of story jazz. Okay, um, we basically summarized the entire genre. Um, Cletus. Wow, Cletus Vu. Oh, I like that. So, who's Cletus Vu? Cletus Vu is the old man. All right, Cletus Vu is an old man who is indispensable to this heist that is being run by a mysterious criminal named. Fandango. <laughs> what? That is quite a name. I mean, it happened. Now I'm going to Google Fandango meaning real quick because I don't even know what that word means. It's a lively Spanish dance for two people. <laughs> well, let's do the old Fandango. We do have been known to Fandango on occasion. We do have been known. All right. I, I, I was going to just throw us in. I, I, I don't know what the highest is yet, but we're going to discover. Just put us in a scene. About a week earlier, before all of this fandango, we see Cletus at the counter. He works at a pet store. Um, he's helping a little girl whose uh, hedgehog has got his foot caught in a in a pair of metal uh, <laughs> shears or something. He's got his foot clamped in there. And she brought him to the pet store because Cletus has just the softest, most tender hands. And even though he's he's gotten a bit of the shakes with age, Parkinson's is finally starting to catch up with him. He's, even for a second, even for a millisecond, he could still long enough to pull a tiny hedgehog hand out from some shears that would, if maladjusted, snip his hand right off. One moment... And with a little, oh. little Edison's hand is free and clear of the shears. And Edison is the hedgehog? Cle Edison the hedgehog. Oh my god. Cletus closes the shears and hands them to the mother of this little girl. And then he stoops over as low as he can on his cane and says, Take care of little Edison now. Watch out for any shears in the future. Yes, Mr. Cletus says the girl. But I can't guarantee he won't fight again, you know. <laughs> and Cletus says, Fight? With whom? You know, Tesla. Uh, what? And the mother cuts in and says, Tesla's the cat. It's, it's a weird story. The little girl hugs the hedgehog close, careful of his little spines, and bolts out of the store again. And the... Mother waves and smiles, thanking Cletus with her eyes, but 
runs after the girl quickly to make sure she doesn't bolt into the street. Cletus pushes himself back up on his cane and walks back around the counter. (sighs) He sits on the seat. His eyes drift around the room, taking in the place that he has built with the little money he had left from his previous career. It's peaceful. Peaceful primarily because the pet store has no birds in it whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is a store that caters to mammals and reptiles and fish. Uh, Cletus has a sworn <laughs> vendetta against all birds. This uh, <laughs> It has to do with a job that went bad a few years back in Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> he lets his eyes drift for a bit. They settle into all the familiar, dusty corners. And then his phone dings. And he shakily pulls it out and looks. It's another alert from the hospital. He sighs and knows he should read it, but closes it for now. He'll check it at his lunch break. And just as he's fitting his phone back in his pocket, the little chime at the door dings, and a familiar face walks in. A face at first obscured by a ridiculous hat. It's a top hat, the type that a magician would wear. The person wearing it performatively tips it down hiding their face, save for their pointy goatee, and then whips it off their head, bows deeply, and says, Is this Fandango or not? Just a question. I'm I'm not sure yet. (laughs) And says, (laughs) All right, wait. Did he tip his hat and bow? I'm pretty sure you're supposed to do one or the other. I love him. I love him. To tip your hat first, That's That's just what he's like, okay? Okay. I'm going to come up with a voice right here, right now. I'm going to come up with a voice for this guy. So you finally set up the pet store, Vu. Cletus simply blinks. You're not going deaf on me, you old chap. I suppose you're one of Fandango's people, aren't you? Not even this hat is enough to disguise that, I guess. And I worked so hard to be individual. He spins the top hat on his finger. Tosses it up and catches it with his head, not even flinching. A tip for a young one just getting started. Flair is not the most appropriate quality in a thief, he says, almost spitting the last word out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you got me pegged wrong, but flair can be a tool, you see. And uh, thief is a simplification. The guy steps forward and um, slaps something onto the counter under his palm. But he doesn't lift his hand. He just holds it on the table, pressing whatever he slapped there against it. And he looks Cletus in the eyes. Pick a thing. Anything. Cletus's eyes narrow. Go on. Anything that can fit under the palm of my hand. Something you've lost. Something you'd like to have? I'm not in the mood for games or jobs, he says. And he holds one finger up slowly, pointing at the door. I think you've come to the wrong place. (laughs) And the guy 
looks disappointed for a moment, pulls his hand off the countertop. Um, there's nothing there. But suddenly, Cletus feels something cold on top of his bald head. He reaches up and grabs a single coin off of his scalp, looks at it unimpressed for a moment, and then realizes this coin is from Hungary, 1976. Budapest. How do you know about the Budapest job? He looks up the young man who's got a wry grin across his face wider than the brim of his hat. All right. If Fandango wants to talk to me, he can come see me himself. Until then, buy some Kachow or get out. Wow, we! Oh man, I think we're never gonna beat that joke. <laughs> Folks, if you haven't listened to the Six C's arc, you won't get that. But hey, go back and listen to it. It's a great arc. The top hat wearing thief shrugs and walks to the door. And before he leaves the shop, he just says, To be fair. Wait, what was his, what was his voice? <laughs> to be fair. Look, I know who you are, and I know you think that you're free of all this, but come on, who are we kidding? Nobody ever breaks free from the Fandango. Cheers! And then he rips the door open with a loud and shuts it loudly behind him. All of the dogs in the little kennel behind him perk up and I uh, start wagging their tail the way they always do when a little kid comes in to play with them. And Cletus looks back at them with a sad look in his eye. Oh, poor puppies. If only somebody would steal you away, huh? And he scratches them behind the ears. Every single one. He really takes his time. <laughs> There's a lot of puppies. Actually, how many puppies can there be before this character becomes unsympathetic due to the way he <laughs> holds <laughs> all these puppies in a kennel? No, they're very well taken care of. They have a lot of space. He takes them back home to his estate after every workday. <laughs> it's it's a rescue. Yes, it's, it's a, a rescue, rescue pet store. So it's not breeders. There's there's nothing funky going on. He, you know, it's it's secondhand pets. <laughs> he looks at the coin in his hand and flips it over, a crown on one side, and a jester's cap on the other. When he flips it back. He's at dinner, alone, still looking at the coin, still sitting in the same position, but it's a few hours later. He's eating at his favorite Greek diner, just a few blocks away, still alone. The uh, young woman walks up, uh, and she's got a notepad in her hand, but she doesn't look like she's about to write anything. She says, the usual for you, Cletus? Yes, Penelope, uh... Two of the usual, if if you please. And can you get me the big, the big plate with all the different little, you know, delicious little peppers and feta cheese and, and all that. Just lots and lots of food. I need to uh, strengthen myself. And I'll take uh, a coffee. No cream, no sugar. But, but you don't, you don't drink coffee, Cletus. He nods and smiles. 
in a few moments, out comes uh, an octopus salad, uh, lightly tossed with a nice drizzled vinaigrette over it. And he's munching away when a stout man walks in. The stout man thwomps through the diner. The sound of his footfalls attracting everybody's attention. He is drenched with rain, breathing heavily, and pushes himself with great effort into the booth. He couldn't possibly be more conspicuous and large. He whomps into the seat across from Cletus and says, Hello, old chap. It's uh, been a minute, hasn't it? And he, without an inkling of surprise, takes the coffee from the table and sips it with a smile. Oh, is that one for me too? He points at the second octopus salad, and Cletus just nods. The stout man pulls a tentacle out and um, slurps it loudly into his mouth. Mm, Oh, that's good. Mm, Yes, that's quite good. What's this diner called? And Cletus mumbles, Ophelia's... Look, Cletus, we don't have a lot of time. I'm planning the biggest one. The big one. The the retire after this one one. I know you're already retired, but I thought, why not retire a second time with a little more money? What are you running? A pet shop, right? You've finally achieved your dreams. Well, fuck all that nonsense. Let's... Let's go hard. I can't can't sit on my wide ass any any longer, as wide as it may be. It's comfortable. I'll I'll say that with all the money I've made. But gosh, Cletus, I've I've got a vendetta, and I just I need to follow it through. You understand, right? Cletus doesn't even make eye contact as he eats another piece of salad and munches. <sighs> I'm 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 blabbering. I'm blabbering. I'm making a fool of myself. Look, there's a man that I want to hurt. And you are so good at hurting people. Uh, Cletus stops eating his salad and he looks up. He pulls his napkin and pats himself across the lips. And he says, is that all? May I go? What, you don't want, you don't want to? <laughs> is, I, I suspected that this life would be boring you. You don't have any, any passion left for this amazing profession that we, that we followed for so many years. Come on, old friend. There's no harm in it. We've never got caught. I would say it was nice to see you, but it wasn't. And he stands up as if he's going to go. The stout man bangs his fist on the table. And Cletus twitches and gives him an annoyed look. The stout man smiles and says, How's Eleanor, by the way? Cletus freezes. He turns around again, the, the look in his eye malicious in a way that you wouldn't have thought possible considering his care for Edison the Hedgehog. Yes, of course I've been watching you, friend. It would be foolish not to. I mean, you could still double-cross me at any point in time, couldn't you? <laughs> we had a deal. Oh, deals, schmeals. Deals don't account for eventualities like terminal illness, now do they? <laughs> Family is off limits, Fandango. Didn't your father teach you that? And for a moment, Fandango's happy-go-lucky expression falters. And Cletus uses that moment to start walking off. Fandango squeezes his way out of the booth, throws over one of the octopus salads on the way out, 
giving everybody, including Penelope the waitress, a shock as he shouts after Cletus, Friend! It's so cute to see you try to walk away from this, but you know that nobody can escape the Fandango! (laughs) (laughs) When Cletus leaves the restaurant and the laugh finishes echoing around the room, Fandango clears his throat and says, Excuse me, I'll I'll, I'll just uh, leave this here. And he throws down a few hundred dollar bills and scuttles out. Penelope and her mother, Ophelia, both look out the door, watching the large man chase the hobbling old one down the street. It's raining again. Cletus is taking one slow step at a time as he can hear the familiar footfalls follow him down the street. Fandango is stomping into every single puddle on the way, as if it was on purpose. You're still... Such a child. Oh, yes, but isn't it childish whims that drive us and our every actions anyway? The men and women we stole from over the years. Don't you think it's childish of them to follow greed for their entire lives? Childish whims are what landed your father in prison, lest you forget it. (sighs) Could you slow down? Wow, you're... (laughs) Goodness, do you even need that cane? (sighs) Look... Look, Cletus! And he stops and grabs Cletus' arm. Cletus doesn't have the strength to resist him and turns around in the rain, looking up through it at the tall, stout man. (sighs) You're really pushing me here today. Do you know how many other people I could ask? Well, actually, the fact is zero. None of them are as good as you. And frankly, I can't do this without you. Look, Old chap, I know you'll do the right thing. Go, go speak with Eleanor if you must. I will be at your place at the usual night time. And either you'll hop in my van or you won't. But know that if you don't, I will be very cross. You're in trouble, aren't you? Cletus looks back and forth between Fandango's eyes. <laughs> no! I'm well past that. Cletus, I am the trouble. Fandango takes a breath and he snaps his fingers and a seemingly innocuous Subaru on the side of the road opens its doors. And he he nods his head as if tipping a hat and then bows (laughs) and jumps in. I'd best be off. I've got a whole team to put together. But it's a... It won't mean anything without you. Later, skater! And the door shuts on its own, and the Subaru speeds off, whipping up a puddle that drenches Cletus's shoes. He stands there in the rain, leaning on his cane a bit, watching the Subaru speed off, and then watching the come and go of the other cars on this not-so-busy street. And then he begins to walk again. At home... He shakes his jacket out, wrings out what little bit of hair he has left, and kicks his shoes on the mat for stepping inside. Eleanor, I'm home, he says, but again, there's no answer. He hangs his wet hat and he kicks off his shoes as he leans his cane against the door and slowly makes his way upstairs. He turns at his first left. 
and he peers into the room, and we all see pale white sheets of a bed surrounded in IV cables and stands and boxes and packages of medicines and medical implements set up in such an array that one would have thought this was a supercomputer in a lab rather than something to keep alive the tiny woman asleep inside. Cletus lowers himself silently into a wooden chair next to the bed and whispers almost inaudibly to the woman, You heard all that, didn't you? Yes. Yes, I think so too. He takes her hand in his, squeezing it gently, careful of the pulse reader on the end of her pointer finger. I know I promised. I know I said I was out. But I also promised his father. And if I have to break one, I can't break that one. Oh my gosh. Oh no, oh my goodness. Softy help, Some, something's been stolen. What, what, is, what has been stolen, Sam? My heart. Oh. You wouldn't have anything to do with that now, would you? I, let me just put away this large box. I, <laughs> well, I why have, is that box making thump thumping sounds? Uh, because I put um, my firstborn child in the box. Wow! Can I see? Can I see it? No, because it looks just like you. Anyway, welcome everyone <laughs> to the <laughs> the ad break for Story Jazz. Remember to find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Send us emails at storyjazzcast at gmail.com. Tell all your friends if you like our show, because that's how podcasts get around. That's how we get around is if you if you tell your friends. So please do that. I'm so glad that that there's been such a big response from all of you. And it's been such a blast making this show. And guess what? This is actually episode 10. We should have led with that. <laughs> <laughs> we are double digits. Uh, it's it's great. To get 10 episodes in, that means that there's, you know, maybe 12 hours of our voice out there free on the internet telling stories um, for anybody who wants to hear. And Yeah, well, it's free for now, you know. As soon as we hit the <laughs> big time, uh, this is gonna, all, all this is going to be behind a paywall. Sam is lying. It's always going to be free. No, 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 no. No, you have to submit 100 euros on Patreon each month. Otherwise, you just get like the 15 second versions of each story. Please, no, no gatekeep. Our friends. Oh, Ghost Hunters. Let's do a Ghost Hunters episode. Hello, I am a Ghost Hunter. Oh, no, there's a ghost. I caught the ghost. And so that's a little teaser for what's going to be happening in soon. Other news, um, just keep your eyes out for... Uh, in the next few weeks or so, we're going to try to set up a poll for the next story for some sort of story element. So if you want to be a part of the story making process, then just keep your eyes peeled. It, it's uh, not going to be super spoilery, but, you know, if you want to have a hand in the creation and the creative process, if you want to stick your finger in the primordial ooze, so to speak, then, Jesus. you know, keep your eyes 
peeled. Yeah, that's probably going to happen on Twitter or Instagram. We'll probably combine our various social medias to get a best response, which means that you can vote multiple times. Just, uh, you know, remember to get out and vote. It's a really important time of year to get out and vote. Oh, yeah, that's that's why we're doing this, of course. It's thematically fitting with the, the things that are going on. Uh, Sam, did you did you vote, actually? I did vote, yeah. Did you? Yeah, I did. Anyway, we probably won't include that in the uh, <laughs> in the ad break. But no, um, I mean, it's it's a good point. You know, y'all should go out there and vote if you can. Every voice counts. Uh, do it on principle, if not just to remove the current infestation. <laughs> you know, I don't even blame you if you simply go in to vote to vote out whoever's been a shit. Like that's that's totally fine. Uh, make your voice be heard and. Uh, stay safe. Yeah. Stay well. We love you. We love you. A hand smacks down on a glass table, pulls back, and reveals a coin with a jester's hat on it. Can somebody tell me what the fuck this is? A small, slender man with glasses and a $10,000 haircut <laughs> looks around the room sweating. What the fuck does a $10,000 haircut look like? Same as a $20 haircut, but a little more a little more shiny. He looks around this oblong table in which a collection of men and women in suits look at him nervously. Hello? Can I get an answer? You guys are supposed to be experts, right? What what is this? A muscular woman at the end of the table clears her throat and says, <clears throat> That is a calling card. And that means what exactly? Is this the kind of thing that peasants use to to use <laughs> phones to call each other? Peasants eat these. Disgusting. Why don't they just eat cake? <laughs> the muscular woman shifts sort of uncomfortably as all the suit's eyes land on her. She's the only one not wearing a suit. She's wearing combat boots a bulletproof vest, that sort of thing. It's a little weird in this scenario. She says, a calling card is, uh, well, a a sign, a a message, uh, a warning, perhaps. Uh, You said you found this in your shoe? Yeah, I found it in my shoe. A shoe that costs more than you get paid in a year, by the way, so I expect more than just a calling card as an answer. That's kind of unnecessary. Um, well, what it means is somebody's planning to heist you. (laughs) To what? People around the table start, start muttering, uh, and, and somebody to, uh, the $10,000 haircut man's right says, I'm not sure that heist is a, a verb. Actually, I think what it means is they're, they're trying to, trying to steal from you. Is that, did I get that right? The woman nods nervously and, and pulls at her collar. But, uh, I mean, we've... <laughs> we're in the most secure place on the planet. Uh, there's there's no way they could get us here. I'm sure you don't have to worry about anything, Mr... Lord, Prince, Prince. I'm sure there's there's nothing to worry about, Mr. Prince. Do you want, Wait, not Mr. Prince. Prince is an actual person. I say Prince something, right? Oh, shit, Prince something? Maybe he he made himself a prince. Like maybe he bought land he bought, and call it, yeah. calls himself. You can prince. you can buy yeah, titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says. So she she says, "I'm sure there's nothing to worry about, Prince 
Fordham. Edgar Fordham. Edgar Fordham. Eddie, maybe. Eddie, I love that. Great. I'm sure there's nothing to worry about, Prince Fordham. And the entire table erupts in murmured agreement. Well, well, yeah, sure. Uh, sure, there's nothing to worry about, Prince. M- Mr. Fordham, I'm sure we have the best security up here. Mr. Fordham, I can assure you that nobody will get us in this place. A heist. Uh, preposterous. That's all great. I'm so proud of you guys. You guys just pat each other on the back. But somebody still made it into my apartment and put it in my shoe. So if they could do that, I'd have a whole lot of confidence in you. The table, again, falls into silence as everybody awkwardly looks at each other. And the muscular woman stands up and says, Look, Mr. Ford, uh, Prince Fordham, you hired me for security. And I take my job very seriously. But I have to ask. It's part of my job, I have to ask. Why now did you recently come into possession of something, a singular thing, worth robbing? Because stealing mass quantities of cash is difficult, and most burglars don't attempt such a thing. But if you recently bought a piece of art, or a rare car, or something difficult something small but extremely valuable, then we know what it is that is about to be robbed. And I would need to know that, sir, prince, sir, your honor. The prince goes pale and says, Oh, yeah, um, there is something I haven't told you about yet, but do I have to show you? I don't. Your honor, prince, sir, yes. Fine, If I'm going to do No, I get it, I get it. Come along. The whole table stands up. Well, everybody around the table, not the whole table itself, but. Um. <laughs> it stands up on its four legs and walks out the room. Did, did we know it could do that? <laughs> <laughs> the whole table stands up, but the prince looks back at them and says, no, not you useless bunch. Just, just the, the security woman. You can give her her name now. Just, uh, just. Um, Miss Stone. Just Guinevere, not none of you. Is Guinevere okay? Yes, that's good. I'm thinking Guinevere Stone now because I said Miss Stone. The two of them leave the room together and walk down a long hall in awkward silence. And Guinevere clears her throat again and says, Look, uh, Prince. So you tried the coffee at the new cafe downstairs. Have you tried it? It's just wonderful. The coffee? I bought the whole company. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, great. I, I, I just wanted to say, uh, I really don't think they'll get us. Like, I'll do my best for a security purpose, but I really don't think they'll get us up here. And in that moment, Prince Edgar Fordham pushes open a heavy steel door, and suddenly they are underneath a glass ceiling of this building, and we see that it's not exactly a building. It's an airship? It's a glass airship. It's enormous, and it's floating through the clouds. As Eddie Fordham walks down the central catwalk towards the far end of the Zeppelin, Guinevere Stone pulls out a small touchpad and begins to flick through the various cameras and laser detections and just scrolls through them to make sure they're all active. And every time she she comes across a new sector, she glances up at them and looks for the telltale little red light as all of the various lasers and cameras reflect around this glass zeppelin. 
it's truly one of the best places to keep something uh, secure. And even if you do get robbed, to know exactly who did it and how, because everything is see-through. Everything except for the vault. The vault which the two now have reached. How did they, where were they at a table? They were at a glass table before. They were on the Zeppelin before, right? Yes. They've this always been all on happening on the Zeppelin. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. They've walked across the rest of the catwalk now, and Fordham uh, stops in front of the huge crank wheel. Well, don't turn, turn around or something. Don't look. I don't want you to see my password. <laughs> Guinevere turns around and rolls her eyes a little bit. <laughs> Fordham has to get up on his tippy toes in order to put in a four digit combination then presses his entire hand to a fingerprint reading machine and scans his retina. And then sticks his tongue in a small hole as it scans <laughs> his tongue. <laughs> he squeaks for a second. Oh, uh, that, one's, that one's kind of electric. It gives me a shock sometimes. <laughs> After we catch these thieves, we should get rid of that one because I don't like it. <laughs> That's great. Something clicks loudly in the door. So... <clears throat> you can turn around now. And Guinevere turns around. Uh, yes, sir, Prince, Your Honor. Are you going to open it, or? I, uh, was hoping you would turn the crank. It's a bit heavy for, for my arms. <laughs> and Guinevere, uh, nods, steps forward, and turns the big wheel crank that goes... <laughs> we actually had that creaking sound installed extra. Like, it's new, right? It's perfectly oiled, so it wouldn't creak on its own. But I found it to be more dramatic. Don't you agree? Your Honor, Prince, sir, um, if you could show me the object. Right, right. And he slips inside the vault. We cut to a trunk shot. A lid is lifted off a container. And we're looking out from inside the container at Prince Edgar Fordham and a security officer, Guinevere Stone, peering down upon... Something that reflects in their eyes with a strange colored light. With a shimmer, almost as if it's water. You mean like the sort of wavering, flickering yeah. shimmer of water? Yeah. yeah. And so, what was it? We smash cut to the inside of a warehouse, and Guinevere Stone sits in the center of a circle as a merry band of thieves gather around her, <laughs> begging to know what was in the vault. Wait, she's part of the crew? She's the inside woman. She's the inside woman. Holy moly. Guinevere is surrounded by a motley crew, including Cletus, the man with a top hat, and another woman, who will remain for now without description. And it's the man with the top hat who asked, What? You're, you're not going to tell us what was in the vault? And Gwyn is about to say something when the door is loudly thwunked open and somebody <laughs> stomps into the room. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I cannot let this information leak at any point. Gwyn and I are the only two who know what the object of the heist is. I'm sorry, it's just... Two high stakes to share with all of you. Two high stakes. <laughs> okay, sorry. The heist take is two high stakes of an object. I cannot share it with all of you. Cletus sits in the, in the circle, his 
a cane across his lap. And he says, How are we supposed to trust you without knowing the quarry? What rules do you have in this crew of yours? And the young girl, the one crew member that we haven't met yet, who sits uh, crisscross applesauce on top of a random cardboard box that should collapse under her weight, but she's so small and slim that it doesn't, apparently. She, through a mouth that is chewing a neon blue chewing gum, says... I actually started a Google Doc. I put all of his uh, rules in a Google Doc. You can just look it up. I'll send you the link. She's typing away furiously at a smartphone in one hand while another blindly operates an iPad next to her on the cardboard box. <laughs> this is so heist. This is so heist. I know, right? Her her <laughs> uh, holographic colored hair is done up in two like little, little Princess buns. Leia buns. Yeah, exactly. Ha, you had the same thought, space buns. Um, Cletus turns back around and says, Google Docs. That's a question. What the (laughs) hell is a Google Doc? What the hell is a Google Docs? (laughs) But the holographic haired girl just rolls her eyes. Fandango steps into the middle of the group and looks around, grinning broadly, so happy to have the crew together. He claps his hands together. Won't you look at us? We've got the perfect setup. We've got Guinevere, a soldier, many, many kills under her belt, many quite gruesome. We've got... Um, Give me a name for the cyber girl. Uh, uh, Xena would be her her cool... Oh, fuck yeah. Her cool, like, code name. We've got Xena. Am I pronouncing that right? The girl does, barely reacts and just deadpan says, It's Xena. Right, I'm sorry. We've got Xena, the uh, newfangled technology expert. My good friend and sidekick with the top hat there, who... Give us a name, give us a name for top hat man quick. <laughs> um, uh, he would name himself after a magician, right? Um, so why don't we do like um, Bertolini? So Bert... And we've got my top hat wearing friend and trickster Bert right over there. And the top hat man tips his hat and says, Barry Bertolini or Bertolini the Great, if you please. Ah, and last but not least, I'm so thankful I can greet him here tonight, Fandango says. My oldest of friends, my most reliable of friends, Cletus Vu, pet store owner and the most ruthless thief. I've ever known. I like that we're kind of obfuscating what Cletus does. And we don't quite know what Fandango does either. He's yeah, kind well, of he's just the, the job man, right? He's the producer, yeah. No real skills, but a lot of energy. And can hook the job, right? We are actually looking for a producer for a story jazz, if anybody <laughs> has no real <laughs> yeah. skills, but a lot of energy and wants to, to find <laughs> publishers for us and market us. Just an aside. Oh, it's so great to have you all back together again. Before I start blabbering all about what the job is, and I just want to say that it's it's such an honor to work with such talented people, and... Cletus interrupts Fandango's blabbering by smacking his cane on the floor twice. What's the job? And how do we finish it? Right. D- don't laugh. Please. It's, uh... It's a wacky one. And he 
grabs a whiteboard on wheels that's standing in the corner of the room, turns it around and pushes it in front of the group. Zena, would you do the thing? And Zena leans back behind the cardboard box and pulls out a projector in which she clicks a few buttons and... And an image appears on the whiteboard. It's the airship, the Zeppelin, with the large glass body underneath. And Fandango points one large finger. This is it. This is the target. (laughs) Bert, uh, or the amazing Barry Bertolini, the man with the top hat, looks around the group and he says, You can't be serious. We're going to rob an airship? Quite so, yes. You might say this is the highest heist. (laughs) Yeah, but like, how are we even going to get up there? And Gwyn says, I've got something lined up. And we cut back to the glass airship, hundreds of meters above the ground. Gwyn is walking hurriedly through the corridors and um, steps out onto the catwalk to cross over to Prince Eddie's offices. Eddie Fordham, Prince Eddie Fordham, of course, has seven different offices in which he goes from one (laughs) to the next. And Gwen Stone can see him walking. And he's walking from office three to office six. And with him is a tiny woman with a briefcase so large it looks like she could fit inside. (laughs) And she's lugging it from office three to office six. And the only reason Eddie Fordham would take someone to office six would be if if they were also part of security. Because Office 6 is where all the monitors are mounted. You can see every camera in the in the whole Zeppelin from Office 6. Of course, the monitors in Office 6 would be visible to everybody because of all the glass. So in order to look at the monitors, you need to wear specific um, polarized glasses that allow you to actually see what's going on on the monitors. Um, and... As she watches, Prince Eddie gives this little woman a pair of those glasses and allows her to view the security monitors. And a sinking feeling sets in in Gwen's stomach and she starts jogging across the catwalk and she enters the offices and knocks on Office Six's door and says, uh, 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 Prince, sir. Oh, Gwen, come in. I'd like to introduce someone to you. The little woman turns around and looks up at Gwyn through thick glasses. I thought if we were about to get heisted, like you said, I should, you know, hire another expert. In this case, an ex-heister. Is that, is that, is that the correct term? I, I don't know. What, what would you call yourself? A heister? And the woman says, Hmm, heister is an all right term. I prefer master burglar. <laughs> but I haven't been in that profession for quite a few years. Gwen looks at the old woman and <laughs> it was a big dumb smile across his face and she forces one across her own and nods politely. Uh, great. Uh, we can always use more experts on our security team. Uh, welcome. And internally, she's screaming because she knows who this woman is. Fandango has told her about this woman. This is 
Beatrice La Montagne. <laughs> well known for her small stature and her mountain-like name. She was one of Fandango's teachers. Beatrice extends a hand, and Gwyn, sweating, shakes it. What's, what's her voice again? Beatrice is like this. She's just an old woman. Just She's just an old woman. Yes, exactly. Nice to meet you, Miss Stone. And the terrifying idea sets into Guinevere's stomach that maybe Beatrice knows who she is. Gwyn has, Gwyn has protected her double identity perfectly for the few years that she's been working as a heister, if one should choose to use that term. But you never know with these experts. And as soon as Gwyn's sweaty palm detaches from Beatrice's devastatingly dry, tiny hand. De- what is devastatingly dry? <laughs> Well, because she's not sweating at all. She's so calm. So, ah, Popeye's biscuits. So uh, uh, Gwyn mumbles some excuse and uh, runs off to the bathrooms, which, by the way, are they also glass? Are the bathrooms on this airship transparent? I mean, yeah, right? Privacy is nothing if you're on the payroll of a prince who bought his yep. his title. You know, so be it. Right, maybe there's just they're just on the bottom bottommost level of the or the topmost. No, wait, the the bottommost is good. The bottommost yeah. level of the yeah, airship, so that you don't get spied on from beneath. I think that's the pipes. Also, the pipes could yeah, th- those can't be transparent. Yeah. Okay, but the pipes are small enough to where no big deal. They, they don't we'll, have to be we'll transparent. Get into that. So, <laughs> just imagine a cool transparent right. airship and don't worry about the details. Yeah, yeah. Gwyn hides in the bathroom. And touches her earpiece, uh, an imperceptible, high-tech, tiny earpiece, custom-made by Xena, and mumbles under her breath, knowing full well that even in the bathroom, um, she is... She's not free from the prying eyes of the cameras everywhere. And she knows how the how the bugs are set up. She knows where she is audible. So she goes into the back of the ba- bathroom and starts drying her hands with a high-tech hand dryer. And would, as the wind blows loudly out of the hand dryer, she touches her ear and says, Guys, uh, we've got a code. Uh, what's darker than red? Like, what's worse color than red? We've got a code that color. And Fandango's voice comes through in her headset. Okay, either you're being super dramatic right now, or you're just really surprised. What's up? What happened? And Gwen leans forward into the hand dryer, rubbing her hands together over and over again, and says, LaMontagne is here. We cut to the other three, Fandango and co, sitting in an airplane. Fandango is flying and speaking to Gwen through a headset, or he was until a moment ago. But since she mentioned the name LaMontagne, Fandango has been frozen, silent. In the back, Zena and Bert look at each other confused. Bert says, who, who the hell is LaMontagne? And Cletus pipes up from all the way in the back of the plane. You should have known Beatrice would show up. We can turn back now. Fandango. And Fandango takes a deep breath and says, 
No, no, I'm sure. It wouldn't be a real heist if we didn't get the whole team back together. Now, would it? Does it this... <clears throat> does it this uh, change the plan? What is the plan, even? We don't even know that yet. We don't know the plan. Um, <laughs> Zena taps away in her keyboard and says, that depends. Uh, what does is, what is LeMontagne do? What, what do we need to adjust for? And she uh, flips open a, another laptop and plugs it in. Fandango says... LaMontagne predicts. And Zena looks up and says, what does that mean? <laughs> Fandango, a very irresponsible pilot, <laughs> turns around and looks over his shoulder and says, and just smiles, sweat beating on his forehead and says, fuck if I know. Cletus gets up from his seat at the far end of the plane and walks slowly down the aisle until he's face-to-face -face with Bert and Zena. He sits across from them, pulling his cane onto his lap. Beatrice was a mathematician when we found her, an expert in probability. She did similar things to what Fandango does now, job planning, isolating a target and figuring out exactly to the smallest detail what is or isn't feasible, pushing the very limits of what's possible, all while never getting her hands dirty. Pandango chimes in. You see, a heist is always about staying one step ahead of the competition. Now we've calculated exactly where and when to strike, but she's probably calculated how we've calculated that. Now we have to calculate with her calculations, and she's probably going to calculate with our calculations of her calculations. So it becomes this weird psychological game. And Xena says, so at that point, why even plan? Why not try to work with unpredictability, chaos? And Bert adds, yeah. Why not work with flair? And he tosses his top hat up in the air and whips it around his finger and throws it onto Zena's head where it lands in between the two space buns. And she looks up very slowly and raises an eyebrow at him. <laughs> and he quietly picks the hat off her head and puts it back on. <laughs> A little bit of shame in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Cletus pipes up, leaning on the cane across his lap. Ultimately, that's why she quit or changed sides. She'd had enough of the chaos and thought it would be more fun to fight it. We're all looking for a challenge after all. Isn't that right? And he looks over at Fandango again. Wasn't it always about the challenge. And not simply about the greed. Fandango ignores him and speaks into the headset again. Gwyn, if you can still hear me and haven't been uh, assassinated by now, keep calm. We will be there soon for our little rendezvous. Sit tight. But no answer comes from Gwyn's side. Gwyn? Hello? But the others can hear 
through the headpiece, a voice on the other end of the line. It's Beatrice LaMontagne's voice. And she says, Hello, Gwen. Why don't you join us in Office 6? We have much to discuss. How do you know about the Budapest job? He says. Not even Hawkeye or... Oh, it's Black Widow. She talked, didn't she? <laughs> did, that, did that film happen in Budapest? <laughs> no, there's a huge Budapest reference in Avengers. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. MCU friends will, will get it. Everybody else will hate this reference. Let's move on. 